good to be back in this place. Um, this feels very much like home to me. Um, I jokingly say about my relationship to Antioch that I'm probably the worst Antioch member in the world. Uh, I show up so infrequently, as a matter of fact, that I'm afraid that some of you feel like my wife is a single mom caring for our disabled son and what a challenge that must be for her. Uh, it has been somewhat entertaining to come sometimes, and there's so many new faces that are here at Antioch. I've had some of you actually introduce yourself to me and um, welcome me to Antioch and ask me how I found out about the church. And uh, so I, I very much, uh, very much, again, feel at home here, but also feel a fresh sense of excitement that some of you, I've never had the opportunity to preach in front of you, and so it's good to be here and to be with you and to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, you know that this month we have been emphasizing the theme of soccer. Now, because we have a super cool pastor who can pull it off, he's been wearing a variety of soccer jerseys on Sunday mornings, even on Easter, and uh, pulled it off without, without any problem at all. He offered to me, hey, if you want to wear a jersey, you should wear a jersey too. And I thought, okay, that's a really great idea. And then I thought, okay, that could really go badly. Um, but, but I want you to know that we've not given up on the soccer theme. And so this morning, instead of wearing a soccer jersey, I'm wearing one of my old coaching shirts. I spent uh, about 15 years coaching soccer of, at various levels and at the latter stages in high school and competitive soccer, and, uh, and, and it was such an important part of uh, my life. Um, it gave me unique time to spend with Nathan and his older brother, Alec. Uh, Nicholas got to watch. He even got a most valuable fan one year because he sat through a whole lot of soccer, and uh, I don't know that he watched a whole lot of soccer, but he was on the sidelines for a lot of soccer. He mostly just watched the fans and entertained them, but... Um, but soccer is something that's been very important to our family, and, uh, and so we're so thankful to be a part of it, seeing itself play out. When we planted Antioch all those many years ago, one of the visions that we had was to somehow see soccer be a piece of the puzzle, right? Somehow soccer, because it was such an international language of unity, of bringing people together from all kinds of cultures and nations that somehow we needed to find a way to do that. And then when God provided this space here on Southside Drive and all of that property, um, we've done a number of different things back there with soccer, but now for this to come to fruition and all of the leaders here who made that happen, uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to realize the tool that God has put in our hands. Now, like any tool, we know that a tool's only as good as the one who uses it, right? Um, you could put plumbing tools in my hands, and it would not go well, more than likely. Um, you know, you could put a mechanic's set of tools in my hands and open up a hood, and it probably wouldn't go very well. So it depends on the hands that it's placed in, and I think that's a stewardship that we certainly need to be mindful of as a church, that God has given us an amazing tool. Now the question is, what will we do with that tool? Will we utilize that tool for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we utilize that tool as a way to intersect with more and more people in our community? 
Will we use that as a place where we can meet and get to know people and build relationships with them? Intentional gospel relationships with them. Because let me remind you that intentional gospel relationships is not just inward in what we do in family group. Intentional gospel relationships is just as importantly outward as with the gospel we build relationships to tell people about Jesus. And so this tool is something that we have to choose to use. Another connection with soccer that I want to mention to you this morning as we kind of step into the text is that one of the things that we often did and often around this time of the year as we started getting into late spring and preparing for the break before then we jumped into the full soccer summer training was that when we began to pull players back together, we often had to just step back and go back to the basics. Not, not because they weren't good players or anything else, but sometimes it's easy to forget the basics, isn't it? Sometimes it's important for us to be sort of reminded of or retrained of some of the essential basics that we need to be remembering every day, whether it's as a soccer player or whether it's as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, to some extent, I think our text sort of calls us back to some basics. It reminds us of some, some simple fundamental truths that are true of us, especially for those of you who are here as believers. So I want to say this before we begin. If you're here as a believer, I want you to know emphatically that the things that this scripture talks about are true of you. Absolutely, 100%, no question in my heart and mind. These things are true of you if you're here as a believer. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, and you've come in maybe curious, you got invited to come by a friend or a family member, or you just wandered in and you're not sure why you're here, I want you to know these things can be true of you and in your life. That God is a God of grace and mercy, and His rescue and salvation is offered to you freely. And today, right now today, could be the day that you trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of these things that we're talking about from this text, all of these basics that are true of the Christian life, can be true for you even today. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Now I know that that's off the, off the direction that we've been going as Pastor Brad's been leading us through Luke. But um, it, it was something that's been on my heart, some thoughts that have been on my heart in this text really really kind of drew them out in a way that I wanted us to spend a little bit of time this morning on them. So what I'd like to do is read the text for us this morning, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of a 30,000-foot flyover. What about you? Anybody else like maps in here? Anybody, any other map nerds in here? Okay, I got maps kind of all over my office. It's starting to get a little obsessive. I get it. Um, but I like maps, especially bigger maps, because they let you kind of see the big picture. They let you see how things are connected. And then as you kind of narrow down into specifics, you kind of have a sense of where those fit and how they attach themselves to each other. And so 
The first thing that we're going to do, and young disciples, this will be a part of where you're going to be able to use your sheet because we're going to do sort of a flyover of the whole text. For those of you that are more linear, uh, I'll go point by point through verses. And so you'll be able to see that when we get to the bulk of what we're doing today. We'll kind of move around a little more circular motion. But, um, but I want to read the text. We're going to do sort of 30,000 foot overview. And then we're going to kind of dig in a little bit on three primary things that I want you to see. And the third will be the biggest of those. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. If you are able, we would love for you to stand with us in honor of the reading of God's word. If you're not physically able this morning, we certainly understand and would ask that you just stand with us in your hearts. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not now seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. And let's uh, say this together. The Lord has spoken to us. Thanks be to God. So I've entitled this, Who Am I Now? And if I was going to subtitle this, I might say a post-resurrection check-in. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday last week. And we've talked about the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've attached that joy of the resurrection of Jesus with the fact that because Jesus has been resurrected, we have resurrection power. We saw that last week in baptism, right? We saw that last week as we recognized that the death, burial, and Jesus is, is immediately attached to our own death, burial, and resurrection as new believers and so I want us to kind of think of this text this morning as this check-in as we think about, okay, so what now? What now then? If the resurrection is true, if we as believers have been attached to the resurrection of Jesus and resurrected ourselves, then what does that mean for us? What are the implications of that? What does it look like? And again, we're going to spend the bulk of our time thinking about what the outward expression of that looks like. But I think this text really does help us to think about some of these basics. And what I want you to hear in this is, is just a sense of hope. Love that last song that we just sang because it so reminds us of this living hope that we have. Not a dead hope, not a wishful hope, 
not a, oh, I hope it all works out in the end, but a committed, believing, sure hope because of Jesus, right? That, that's what we're living in now because of what Jesus, who he is and what he did for us. That's why we can have that kind of hope. So let's do this 30,000 foot flyover. And again, young disciples, you've got this on the front side of your sheet. And so what I want to propose is that through the resurrection, we have a series of things that are true of us. Okay? And so we'll just go verse by verse and see them here. So if you want to follow along in the text, I promise they're from the text. I didn't just make stuff up. Okay? All right. So through the resurrection, we have a living hope. Do you see that there in verse 3? We have a living hope. Again, not a dead hope, not a wishful hope, not a cross my fingers hope, not a cross my toes hope. Can anybody in here cross their toes? Nicholas can cross his toes as well. Stone and Nicholas, you guys can cross your toes. That's impressive. But it's not that kind of hope, right? It's a hope that is living because it is resurrection hope. But not only through the resurrection do we have a living hope, but we also have a lasting inheritance. See that in verse 4? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We're going to come back and look at that. But we have a, a lasting inheritance. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been given an inheritance through, <coughs> excuse me, our big brother Jesus. And therefore, we have a promise for how things are going to work out in the end. That's hopeful, right? And it's a lasting inheritance. It's not an inheritance that God is going to one day come back and say, uh, I'm not real pleased with how you've been doing stuff, so I'm going to write you out of the will. If you are in the will, if God has written your name in the Lamb's book of life, you are in and your inheritance is sure. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. That's good news, right? Because frankly, I do some pretty jerky, dumb stuff that could easily get me kicked out of the will. But yet God in his mercy loves me. So it's an inheritance, a lasting inheritance. It's also a now and coming rescue. Through the resurrection, we have a now and coming rescue. We have a sense in which we have been saved. We have been made a part of the family of God. You see there in verse 5, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we see that same salvation mentioned down there in verse 9, and we'll come back to that, salvation of your souls. But I, I just want you to see that there's this sense that, yes, we have been saved for eternity, but I think in too many Christian circles, we think of our salvation as just being something out there, right? We, we've got our fire insurance out of hell. We've got our We've got our ticket to heaven, and so that's all that it really means. But I want you to know this morning, be reminded this morning, that our salvation is, yes, an out there then, but it's also a right now. We've been rescued for today. Isn't that good news? We've been rescued to live a different kind of life than we would have lived otherwise. We've been rescued to be in this joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? We've been rescued to have abundant joy, abundant life that overflows. And that is great news. 
So we have a now and a coming rescue. Also through the resurrection, we have a tested joy. You see that there in verse 6? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It's hard, isn't it? Yes? Okay. If you know what I spent last night doing, I could guarantee you sometimes life is not pretty in the most literal, gross ways, right? It's just hard. We've seen it in our city. We've seen it in so many different ways. Life is difficult, but yet we can have a joy that stands up in and through those tests and those trials. That's good joy, right? That's not almond joy. Almond joy ain't nothing on this kind of joy, right? This is, this is tested joy. This isn't joy that just is everything's going great. And we say, hey, I'm so joyful today, right? Put it on the sign, carve it out, you know, and put it on our wall. Joy, blessed, hashtag joy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about joy that makes it through the grind. We're talking about joy that still looks to Jesus and loves Jesus no matter how hard it is. Through resurrection, we have living hope, lasting inheritance, now and coming res- rescue, tested joy, and a proven faith. A proven faith, a faith that's going to stand up. See there in verse 7, so that the, the tested genuineness of your faith. Now that looks great on paper. It's hard to get there. Can I get an amen on that, right? That, that kind of proven faith, proven sounds like a really positive word, but proven is hard. To, to prove something, there's trial and tribulation that goes on. To prove something means maybe that heat has been added and it's been cooked for a bit, right? It's proven. It's been left to have all the chemicals in it do their thing and it swells up and it isn't very pretty sometimes until it finishes the bake. But we have a proven faith because of what Jesus has done for us. And then finally, again, to tie back to the earlier point, we have an eternal salvation. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please, this morning, don't come out of Resurrection Sunday. Don't come out of Easter and somehow miss what a mind-blowing reality that it is that we have been saved. Not just a little bit, not just from a few mishaps, not just from some inconvenience, but we have been saved from eternal damnation that we rightly deserved because of our rebellion against a holy God. That's the salvation that we have been gifted by Jesus. And it's one that will last forever. Okay. So, that's the overview. Get a, big, get a big picture of kind of what the text is sort of saying to us, what it's promising to you. If that's enough for you and you feel really good about that, nap out. Okay? If you feel like, hmm, that's really interesting. Maybe there's something, maybe there's something a little bit more to see in there. Stick with me. Let's see what we can find. Okay? So, we're going to look at three things. All right, kind of want to make three bigger points from the text 
And again, kind of moving around and putting some things together here so that we can see the full measure of what's being described. So we're going to look at three points. Who you are, how you came to be, and what you should display because of that. Okay? So I want to be as practical as I can about this. Who you are. So what does this text say about who you are right now if you are living in the resurrection? If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've been rescued and made a part of the family, who are you? Right? Because we sometimes can have an identity crisis, right? We, we can sometimes begin to question who we are. Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Does Jesus really love us in that kind of way? Well, if I do this, am I out? You know, we, we have all kinds of identity crises that creep up. And so it's important for us to take a step back, think about the basics, and say, okay, God, who do you say that I am? Right? And then we want to think about, well, how'd you get that way? Uh, because I want you to understand that it wasn't of your own doing, it wasn't because you're awesome. I'm sorry, I don't mean to break it to you like that, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't your fix. It was God doing something in and through and for you, and that's glorious because that means it's secure. That means if it wasn't all about you at the front end, it ain't all about you in the middle part, and it ain't going to be all about you at the other end. It's about God all the way through. And so who are you and how you became, how you came to be, and then what what you should display. So what should we look like if all of this is true about who we are and how God has made that to be? Then what's that look like for us? What's it look like for us in a broken world to continue to live out resurrection hope? What does living hope look like? Maybe that's the question, really. What does living hope look like? And I think the text helps us. All right, so who you are. Two main, two main things that this text says about who you are. One we're going to find in verse 3, and one we're going to find in verse 5. This is based on how the text is, is put together. First of all, who you are is born again. How many of you are from the south, maybe the deep south? Been believed for a little while. You're born again, right? Anybody else in here born again? I got born again. Not just born again, but born again. Um, there came a time, right, in evangelicalism where we kind of looked at that and said, oh, born again, that's kind of, you know, that's passe. That, we don't want to use that phrase. You know, that phrase has all these other implications. That phrase is right here in the text, and it means something in particular. It means that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and that now in Christ we have been reborn. We've been, dare I say, resurrected, right? Just like Jesus. We've been resurrected. Old man is dead. New man is alive and well. And so who we are is born again. That has some implications for us, does it not? Dead things don't do living things, but living things have no business continuing to act like they're dead, that makes sense to you? Because we've been born again. And the text says that we were born again as a causal action upon us. God did the hard work and the heavy lifting so that we could be born again. He has caused us to be born again. 
caused us to be born again. That's glorious, right? Because again, in our rebellion and in our sin and in our enmity with God, we would have never pursued him on our own. We would have never figured out how to put the puzzle pieces together of the gospel and of salvation on our own. But yet God, being so gracious to us, stepped in and made a pathway for us, made a way for us to have new life. He caused us to be born again. And we're born again towards something. I love how the text builds it out. Note the two twos. T-W-O-T-O. So there in verse 3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that living hope idea again, right? So we've already kind of talked about that. So what has he born us to? He's born us to a hopefulness. He's born us to a recognition that the brokenness of our life no no longer traps us and owns us and keeps us. That as hard as it is, ultimately we have this hope in Jesus Christ because he has born us again. He's made us a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, right? These are verses and thoughts that we have a lot that sometimes we let just kind of get flattened out. But these should be technicolor ideas in our hearts and minds, right? That God has done this for us, that this is what being born again means to. We've been born again to a living hope. But not only to a living hope, but to an inheritance. See that in verse 4? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. That too is back still attached to the born again part. He caused us to be born again to an inheritance. So it's because we've been born again that we've been made a new creation, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we now have this glorious inheritance of eternity. That we now have this possession, this glorious possession of the inheritance of heaven and of life full of joy completeness. This inheritance is no small inheritance as we've already mentioned, but look at how it's described there. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and I love this, kept in heaven for you. We don't live too far from Fort Knox. Anybody driven by Fort Knox recently and all that? You can still see kind of up on the hill, right? The old place. I don't know. Do they still keep gold in Fort Knox? They still do that? Okay. Carabas says yes, so it must be true. All right, so they still keep gold in Fort Knox. It's considered a kind of a big deal, right? I mean, that's considered a secure place. That gold's not going anywhere. Well, this is an inheritance that's kept in way better than Fort Knox. It's kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is not going anywhere. This inheritance is not going to rust and rot away. This inheritance is a promise as sure as the God of heaven for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you embrace that with me this morning? That we have been born again to an inheritance, to a promise that is not going away. Praise God Almighty for that, right? That it is secure. And I think because it's in heaven, it is unfading, undefiled, imperishable. It's not saying that we're always going to be perfect, that we're always going to be those things, but our inheritance is not going away. Okay, the second thing then is that who you are is that you're born again, verse 3, but it also says that you're guarded. I like this one, right? 
I like this one because we can kind of get a little esoteric about being born again. But guarded, we know what guarded means. Guarded means safe. Guarded means protected. Guarded means that we're not at risk in the same way that we once were. And the text says there, who by God's power are guarded. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about the ones that have been born again, right? He's talking about these believers that he's writing to here that are in Asia Minor, that are under the midst of persecution and difficulties and pains. And he's saying to them, by God's power, you are being guarded. You're not as vulnerable as you may think. Anybody else struggle sometimes with feeling like you're vulnerable? Feeling like you're at risk, that it all might fall apart? I want you to know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if He has made you His own, if He has made you born again, He is guarding you. He loves you and cares for you and He's not going to let you go. I love how John 10 talks about it, that we are in the hand of Christ and that we are in the hand of the Father and that no one will snatch us out of the Father's hand. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? My daddy's here today. He's going to turn 83 in a couple of days. Y'all give it up. 84. Oh, I missed one. That's right, 84. Sorry. Wow, you're even older than I thought. Look at that. That's impressive. As a child... I felt safe when my dad had my hand. Felt vulnerable in other situations, but when my dad had my hand, I felt safe. Because I knew he was there to guard. He was there to protect me. He was there to keep me. He wasn't going to let harm come to me. And we are a people guarded, guarded by God's power. Now, if our daddy can make us feel safe, How much more does our Heavenly Father make us feel safe in that He is the one guarding us with His great power and strength? And it's guarded us through faith for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, it certainly means... It certainly means that our salvation has... Let me use a fancy theological term... Eschatological implications... That means in time meaning. means it's going to make a difference for way out there. But I don't think that that means that it doesn't have now and present implications. Right? That we are being guarded in and for this salvation. It's for eternity, but it's also for now too. The, the eternal and the present are never detached in the way that we want to detach them as finite human beings. God don't care about that mess, right? He, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't worry about that. Eternity for him and now for him, all same thing. There, 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 there's, no, there's no confusion there, right? And so he is guarding us for this salvation, for this rescue. And it's a now rescue and it's a forever rescue, we have the promise in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So he's guarded us for salvation, but he's also guarding us, guarded us and guarding us for this idea of a genuine faith. See that in 7? So that the tested genuineness of your faith. And then he does a little Fort Knox analogy here. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. That this faith that we have 
is a genuine faith because of who gave it to us. Because of who guards it and keeps it in us. Right? We are not in this alone. Isn't that good news? God didn't just save us and say, go do your thing, I'll see you at the end. Go do your thing, I'll see you at the end. He is with us and present, working through us, through His Spirit. That faith is not going away. It's, it's a faith that, yes, He will allow to be tested, that He will allow to be smelted, that He will allow to be shaped and formed and strengthened. I love verse 8, how it applies this, because it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you know what? That's talking about us, as well as these believers in the early days, most of whom had never seen Jesus face to face. Peter had, and he was trying to help them to understand and grasp the power of this. But let, 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 me, let me draw you back to something that happened when Peter was there. Back in John 20, 29, after Jesus resurrected, Jesus said to Thomas, remember Thomas? Eh, I'm not sure if I can buy this. I'm going to have to see it. I'm going to have to check out those holes in the hands and the feet and all that. I don't know, right? And Jesus graciously gave him the opportunity to do that. But what did Jesus say to Thomas? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Peter was standing right there listening to Jesus say that to Thomas. And now Peter encouraging these believers somewhere probably around mid-60 or so that are in the midst of struggle and difficulty. Hey, God bless you. You believe even though you didn't get to see like I got to see. You believe, even though you didn't get to touch his hands and feet like Thomas got to touch his hands and feet. God bless you. And that is an evidence of your guarded, tested, genuine faith. And finally then, it's not just that sense of salvation that is here and now. It is that salvation of our very soul. The outcome of your faith, verse 9 says, it's eternity with Christ. That's the ultimate thing. Jesus is the ultimate thing, and we're going to get to spend forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and there's not even words that can describe because it's so forever. We're going to get to spend that with Jesus. That's who you are. That's who you are, brothers and sisters. You are born again, and you are guarded. And that ain't never going to change. Now, let's quickly, how, how'd you get that way? Was it just because you were so awesome? Some of you maybe might be borderline on that. Most of us. We're a train wreck. We're a mess. We didn't deserve that. Well, I think the big picture thing that we need to see Peter begins to address here in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that remembrance that it's a but God thing. Our relationship is a but God thing. You guys know that have been here any length of time around me know that I love Ephesians chapter 2. That Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, just, it just sort of oozes out of my pores. I mean, I just love the full message of what that says to us. And I love verse 4. 
right? Because it's described the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. It's described the fact that we're in bondage to this world, to our own fleshly desires, and to the ruler of this world. And it says that we are by our nature objects of wrath. And anybody with me, what does the first two words in verse 4 say? But God. Hallelujah, but God. And I think in the introduction here, Paul is saying, hey, don't forget, this is all about God. This is all about what God has done for you. How glorious God is. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're reminded not only in who the Father is, but how much He loved us in sending His Son Jesus for us. We are born again because of what God has done for us. You didn't get born of your own making the first time. I would argue that you did not get born of your own making the second time. It is a work of a gracious God. And what kind of God is this? What, what does it say here? I've got them in purple in my text. Because of His great mercy. And that's why we're born again. Because He chose not to give us what we deserved as rebels and sinners. He gave us grace instead. We're born again because of the resurrection of Jesus. Don't want to forget that. It is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's not miss that if Jesus hadn't come, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, an unjust death to pay the price for our sin, to bear that burden of our sin. If he didn't die, wasn't buried, and didn't rise again on the third day, we got nothing to hope for. Pastor Brad helped us to see that last week. So we're born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're guarded by God's power. Not just any power, but God's power. And we're guarded through and for the revelation of Jesus Christ. There in the end of verse 7. That we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has been revealed that he now sits in heaven and speaks on our behalf. One day he will return. He will make all things new. And in that revelation, we will know the full force of what he has guarded us from and what he has guarded us to. That is a glorious thing. So when we think about who we are, let's never detach and forget and miss how we came to be who we are. Because it's always about God. It's always about who He is and what He's done. All right. Let's land this plane with this last, with this last point, And I'll be careful here so that you don't miss your lunch. What you should display. So, if... If... if all of this is true, then what's it look like? Well, well he says some very specific things, and we've kind of touched around them a little bit, and so I'll just clarify them for you, of, of what Peter has said to these readers, and by extension, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us. 
But I first want you to make sure you don't miss the context of this. If we looked at the whole context of this letter, we know that we have a people that are in conflict. We know that we have a people that are being persecuted. Not necessarily, it doesn't appear to be a statewide kind of that sort of oppressive persecution. It seems to be more regional. It seems to be more specific and in different ways with different people and all that, but persecuted nonetheless. Let's just say it this way, a people who were living in the recognition of the brokenness of this fallen world. And I don't have to remind you that we live in a broken and fallen world, do I? You have testimony of that in your own heart and life of the brokenness that you've experienced and that you've seen, that you've struggled through. You have testimony in your family and in relationships of that brokenness and the hard and difficult things and maybe people who have intentionally tried to do harm to you we live in a broken world we live in a broken community and in a broken society where we have to not only see things at the beginning of the week that get tons of high profile press and everything else like the terrible mass shooting at the old national bank but also last night at Chickasaw, Park, at, at Chickasaw Park, where we have a shooter come in into hundreds of people and just start firing. And six people injured last night. Some dead. We live in a broken, fallen, messed up world. So, I want you to understand that what he's calling on here... It's not some weird pie in the sky. It's not everything's going on that's just perfect. It's not ideal conditions and experiences and circumstances. The reality is, he says here in verse 6, that some of those reading have been grieved by various trials. He doesn't go into detail here, but I'm fine with you just filling in the blank however you want to fill in for what are your various trials. I've known some of you for a really long time. I know what your trials have been. I know what they are. It's that setting. It's that setting that Jesus begins to step in. And this isn't isn't unique for Peter. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward." Boy, you don't put that on the brochure. Hey, come join Christianity. It's awesome. (coughs) James wrote in one twelve, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This is a scripture thing. I hate to tell that to you. It's true. This Bible doesn't say it's going to be easy. This Bible doesn't say that our inheritance guarantees us a free ride. This Bible doesn't say that everything's going to go just great and peachy when we trust Jesus. Frankly, it says that often when we trust Jesus, it gets harder, not easier. And most of us in here can give testimony to that. Okay? And I know if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you're saying... Dude, you're not doing a good job of convincing me. 
This is not super appealing if you're saying it's going to get harder, not easier. I I heard that this Christianity thing was about praying a prayer so that it'd be all great. So that it'd just be roses. So that all my problems would go away. So I'd be rich. Have all the stuff that I would want. That's what I heard it was about. I want to be honest with you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That ain't what it's about. It don't work that way. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. But all these things that it says about who we are, how we got to be who we are, all those things are true. And I promise you those are more glorious than any of the struggles that we face today. I'm not minimizing your struggles. I know people and love people that still bear wounds of pain for the struggles that life has brought their way. And it breaks my heart. I wish I could fix it. I wish I could take it away. But somewhere, as hard as it is in my heart and mind to put it together, I know with confidence and have faith that what is promised is greater than all of that pain. You don't have to minimize the pain to say that. It's because of the glorious nature of what God has done for us. So we should display a couple of things and we're done. Rejoicing. Look at verse 6 there. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So somehow in the midst of all of this, but I think, let's not miss it, it's not just Peter writing and saying, oh, I should probably say rejoice here. Because they're probably, it's kind of a downer a little bit. Maybe they're a little concerned. Let's say rejoice. Let's throw that out there. And it's just a tagline or a hashtag, right? No, it's attached to the guarded faith part. He's saying you should rejoice because even though you're in the trouble and the struggles, you can rejoice because you have a guarded faith that's going to stand up under the troubles. Isn't that good news? No matter what the pressure feels like and looks like, your faith having been given by the Father himself, is going to hold true. It's not going to fall apart. Man, we need to to know that and be reminded of that, don't we? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes our mind tells us it's not that way. Sometimes even our heart gets all weirded out and starts making us feel like it's not that way. But it's that way promise it's god's promise and you've got people who are in intentional gospel community with you who will give you testimony that is true over and over and over again that's why we keep doing this that's why we keep coming together to be a family because we need each other to remind each other that these things are true when the world tells us they're they're not so we're rejoicing we're also rejoicing in a way that brings praise glory and honor because of the tested faith that he's worked out in us. I'm glad that God didn't leave me in the faith that I was in at 10 years old when I made a profession of faith. Because it was very simplistic. I don't think I really got it. It certainly wasn't very nuanced. I just knew that to the best of my understanding, I love Jesus. I didn't want to die and go to hell. As my dad talked to me there when I went forward in that, I think it was a revival service. I can't remember who that revivalist was who was preaching that, but came forward and he talked to me and then a little while later got baptized. 
I mean, I'm, I'm glad that God has in His grace not left me as just that little kid faith, that He's grown it up. And part of the way He's grown it up is through some pretty hard stuff, some painful experiences. And that tested faith will bring us to not only give praise and glory and honor, but to literally, I think, so it says result there in verse 7. Do you see that? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That one day in heaven we will be a display. This is what Ephesians 2 says as well. That we will be a display of the glory of God. That we will be a display of the grace of Jesus and the gospel itself. That, that we, our very presence in heaven will be the embodiment of praise to say, look how good God is. Psalm says in Psalm 9, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I could give you a million verses that talk in that way. That's what we were created for, is to glorify God. To bring praise to him. We've messed it up royally with our sin and rebellion. But God is renewing it through the work of the gospel. And one day it will all come in a culmination of just this glorious gathering around the throne. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation rejoicing at how glorious God is. How beautiful Jesus is. What God has done for us. That's what it's going to look like think more often than it does sometimes that should be so filling us that it should seep out in the everyday stuff too and then the final ones there in verse 8 that he talks about you haven't even seen him but yet you love him you don't see him now but yet you believe in him and and that love and belief in some sense, are resulting in rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Did you know that your joy is full of glory as a believer? Full of glory. Your joy glorifies the God of heaven. How crazy is that, right? I mean, you're just a tiny speck, a dot in all of this creation and all of that, but when you live and rejoice in Christ... When you live in the joy of your salvation, you bring glory to God. That's good stuff, right? It's hard, but it's true. And, and, and it's so hard that it's almost inexpressible. It's, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about going through the motions. I'm not talking about using certain words or phrases or things like that. It's a joy that just bursts out of us of what God has done for us. <clears throat> Spurgeon once observed that the steps by which we ascend to the place of joy are usually moist with tears. Amid the ashes of our pain lie the sparks of our joy ready to flame up when breathed on by the Holy Spirit. We're to be a people filled with Embodiment of, expression of, living Holy Spirit. Placed there 
as a gift from Jesus till he returns. And that should produce joy. That should produce living hope. As a soccer coach, a big part of what I ultimately, after a lot of mistakes, learned to do was not try to make every player messy or Christian Pulisic or the greatest players that have played. Not to say, okay, let's see you be Pele, right? But instead to try to help those players think about what's my next? Where am I now? What is God calling me to next? What, what can I do next? What can I achieve next? What move can I learn next? What skill can I learn next? What about the game can I learn next? I want to say to you and ask you the question today, what's, what's your next? If, if what I've just said to you is true, and it is, not because I said it, but because it's from God's word, and you are who it says you are, you got there because of what God has done for you, and he's calling you to display that in your life, what's the next that you need to do today? Again, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, your next is to trust in Jesus. Your next is to call out in repentance, turning away from your sin into God, and in faith, trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done. That's your next, and I want to call on you to do that today. If you're not clear on that, you can talk to one of the pastors in the back at the end. You can talk to a friend that you trust. But don't leave today without doing that. But if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, you've most likely already in your head got a couple of next. Maybe it relates to a sense of hopelessness becoming a sense of living hope. Maybe it's a down feeling that needs to become joy. Maybe it's a sense of really trusting in the guarded nature of your faith. I don't know what it is. But I want to ask you today, as we get ready to come to this table Remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember this symbol of his death, but embodied in his death is the promise and hope of his resurrection. As we come to this table, whether it takes you a moment there at your seat before you come, or you want to do that after you come, I want to encourage you today to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you and to figure out what your next is and to start on the journey towards that, even today and this week. Okay, I want you to do that. I don't want this to be just an up here message that we've talked about. I've worn your brains out far too long. Okay, so don't just leave it here. Don't just say that's enough. I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving it there. Take something with you as your next. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us and your love for us. Your unbelievable gift of grace and salvation that you've given to us. And so God, I pray that as we have walk through this scripture that we will with confidence trust in who we are, what you've done to bring us to who we are, and what you call on us to do. God, we pray that this bread, which symbolizes your broken body, Jesus, that we know that it has been a symbol for the ages for believers. And so God, we Offer up thanks for this bread, and as it, is, it is, as it is broken here, we recognize that you, Jesus, were broken for us. And so as we come, we come to remember you and your broken body. God, we thank you for this cup and the symbol that it is for the spilled blood of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for pouring yourself out 
for our rescue and salvation. And so we take from this cup today as a remembrance and a reminder of the new covenant that was made through your blood that we could be a part of this great inheritance and guarded in the faith. God, we thank you and we pray that as we come, as we, Holy Spirit, as you work in our hearts and stir things, that we would be obedient to take the next step, whatever that might be, to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Servers, if you'll come.